Sorry, I seem to have missed that during the announcements. You see my whole family up here like, wow, they had Exodus Church. They got some longevity on their feet. Yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, my name is uh, Zach Ritz. Um, I'm the pastor of Mission, actually, at Exodus Church. And uh, I planted, we planted this church in January. It was a friend of mine from seminary at Gordon-Conwell, Pastor Kyle Lamott. As long as uh, with many other brothers and sisters, uh, we planted in January. And obviously, as all of you know, church planning takes a lot more than just one man. Amen? Uh, but there is only one man that gets all the credit for a successful church plant. And that's the God-man Jesus Christ, right? No greater man that I know. So I'd like to start just by thanking uh, Pastor Brandon for inviting me to come preach here this morning uh, while he's away. We want to continue to be praying for him. Um, and I, I hear also Pastor uh, Josh as well. Just that the Lord would refresh them, rejuvenate them, uh, challenge them, equip them, and even send them back uh, to all of you to continue the work that God has for you here at the Bridge Church. Uh, I'd also like to just thank everyone. Just thank, thank you to the Bridge Church for partnering with my church, Exodus. Uh, it is such an honor to be able to lock arms with you as we proclaim the gospel and advance his kingdom here in this city and, yes, even to the ends of the earth. And that's actually what I would like to focus our attention on this morning, the advancement of God's kingdom. See, as we all endeavor to preach the gospel and see lives change and see all of life and all of society and all of uh, our communities impacted, transformed by the good news of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, we do so, and we need to be reminded that we do so, in a world that would have us keep all of that right here in these four walls. You see, this is the modern-day marginalization of Christianity or the privatization of faith just in general, as if to say that our belief has no business impacting our Monday through our Saturday, nor advancing into every corner of our lives and relationships. See, Christianity is thus marginalized and is placed on the outskirts of society, Sunday only. And the worst thing that the church can do, the worst thing that the church can do is believe that lie. That's the worst thing that we can do. Because as we believe that lie, our faith, uh, that our faith is simply a private matter, we begin to live fractured, divided lives, operating one way at church and perhaps at a midweek Bible study, and then totally different way at work or even at home. We become functional prosperity gospel preachers. Now, why would I say that? Well, for when we begin to live our lives and work as if God is disinterested with what we do, then we'll work at building our careers and building our homes for our comfort and our enjoyment, and our glory. See, and when sickness or financial struggle gets in the way of that, well, then we'll ask God to get us back in the black or back to work so that we can continue to build our kingdom and not his. And this is nothing new, though, for humanity. Actually, it has been this way since the beginning. As a matter of fact, we're going to turn our Bibles to the book of beginnings, to Genesis. So if you do so, if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Genesis chapter 11. Uh, and the book of Genesis means origins or beginnings. And what we're going to find is the account of the Tower of Babel. So I don't know if all of you have ever heard a sermon uh, on the Tower of Babel, maybe not since Sunday school, but hey, uh, we're going to be preaching this morning on the Tower of Babel. Make our kids jealous, right? So Genesis 11, and we'll be going verse 1 to 9. Now, I believe that we need to focus here on the Tower of Babel because only after understanding Babel can we then understand the purpose for all human life. 
to know why God created us and why building a kingdom for ourselves will never fully satisfy us. So if you'd like to stand for the reading of God's word, we'll read in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Now, one of the questions that I had as I was just even reading this during my quiet time one morning, I said, why would God do that? Why would God come and, and confuse them and then spread them off? Why was he so upset at what they were doing? I mean... It seems like they're all working together. I mean, it seems like they're all very unified and they're doing so well. The tower is even reaching into the heavens. There's unity and there's even progress, maybe technological advancement, because they're using their skills with this new technology of brick and mortar to build this great tower and structure. So why is this so wrong? It's because it's in direct opposition to what God had told them to do. So if you turned your Bibles to Genesis 9, 1 through 7, you would see that God had already commissioned them. It says in Genesis 9, 1 through 7, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. This is just two chapters before. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they have been delivered, says the Lord. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Or, and for your lifeblood I will require a, a reckoning from every beast. I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. He says, this is why. For whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This should start ringing a bell to even before. In verse 7 especially, and you be fruitful. He says to Noah and his sons and his family, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. You see, this commissioning that God gives to Noah and to his sons, to his family, to, to be fruitful, to multiply. Uh, and fill all of the earth, we know that this is really just a recommissioning, for this is the same thing that he did uh, in creation in, in chapter 1 to Adam and Eve. They are commissioned in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, when we see similar language. In 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds 
of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 27, so God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, what? But be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and the heavens and everything that moves on the earth. You see, they were commissioned to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill all of the earth. So as the people are migrating, this isn't just like some HGTV episode where they're trying to find a nice place to settle in, right? They have been commissioned by God to fill all of the earth. Now, what would that mean and what would happen by them filling all of the earth? What does that mean? I mean, yes, they would fill the earth with themselves, but what else would they be filling the earth with? Uh, Dr. Greg Beale, professor of New Testament, Biblical Theology of Westminster Theological Seminary, tells us that indeed they would fill the earth with themselves, but notice who they are. They were image bearers of God. And as such, they would rule and have dominion over everything and every living thing all of creation to be ruled by them, and as bearing God's image, it would, it would look like the way God rules all things. For as they lived and as they worked, everything that they would do would be imaging God in all of His ways, and in all that they did, and it would be in all of the earth. Therefore, the whole earth, yes, would be filled with people, but people as image bearers of God, the whole earth would be filled with the glory of God. This is humanity's God-given mission and purpose from the very beginning, before the flood, and then again after the flood. Humanity exists and has been commissioned to fill the earth with the glory of God. But then Noah's children have children. You can see in the chapter between that then their children have children and, and so forth until you have a great migration of people with one language and the same words. But as they begin filling the earth, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they stopped and they settled there. In Genesis 11, 1 to 3, we see now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there, and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Now, they begin to settle there in this land of Shinar. Now, I think it's important to, to think to ourselves, what was so tempting in order for them to, to cause them to settle in this place, to really disobey God and to settle down into the land of Shinar? Well, the land of Shinar is also known as the Fertile Crescent. It's the region in the Middle East which curves like a quarter moon shape, thus the crescent, from the Persian Gulf through modern-day southern Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, and even northern Egypt. Historians have called this place uh, that's described here in Genesis 11 the cradle of civilization because it's the beginning of written history, agriculture, and urbanization. Now, they could have saved some time and much digging if they just would have read their Bibles. Um, but also, this, this land is called the Fertile Crescent, not just because of its shape, but the type of land that it was. It was fertile. It was good for farming, good for agriculture, and thus life-giving, especially compared to its surrounding 
areas. Now, how does that information help explain why the people could have been so enticed to settle there? Because God tells them to go and fill all the earth. But as they travel, they find a land able to provide all of their needs for life. They then have a decision to make. Do we continue to trust God and put our security in Him as we travel throughout all of the unknown and untraveled world? Or do we build a city here in the land of plenty with walls to keep the world out and, and us out of the world? All we need to live is right here. See, to, to continue and to leave behind such a perfect place to live would mean trusting God to provide every step of the way. Now, how often do we, how often do we cling to the green pastures and the still waters when we know God is calling us to enter into the valley of the shadow of death? How, how often do we, do we cling to those things uh, that, that, that help us feel secure, help us feel um, safe, and help us feel comfortable? I mean, we find our comfort and our security in these things, and, and it causes our lives to be completely out of control. It causes anxiety levels to, to rise and fall. You see, if, if our security is in money, then your anxiety will match the rising and the falling of your bank account. See, if our joy is in good health, then maybe our happiness might fluctuate along with the numbers on our bathroom scale. I'm very happy. <laughs> if our faith comes only during times of blessing, then we'll worship God in the spring. We might even praise Him in the summer but we'll begin to doubt him in the fall and walk away from him in the winter. See, how do you know then when you're trusting in God and not in the land of Shinar? Well, your joy and your faith does not waver. No matter where your God takes you, no matter what God brings you through, because your faith and your, and your comfort and your security are all coming from trusting in God. And if so, then may green pastures or not, you can even walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Why? For your good shepherd is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. Your eyes are upon the Lord and you know he will take care of his sheep. Your hope is in him, not in your circumstances. His presence with us is our every comfort and security. So we can go forth into any part of this dark world, spreading his glory to the ends of the earth and have no fear of provision for he'll supply our every need. Amen. Now, to trust God with all of your life can only happen when we desire all of our life to point to him. I'll say that again. See, to trust God with all of your life in that sort of way can only happen when you desire all of your life to glorify Him. See, they say in verse 4 that this is not so. Then they said, come to one another, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name, get this, for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth, as God commanded. You see, this, uh, this city and this tower that they were building is, is likely 
uh, not the spiral staircase that kind of reaches all the way up in, into the clouds. Um, I know that's kind of the picture, at least the picture in one of our children's books. Um, the, the structure likely with the brick and the mortar that they were using is, is likely a ziggurat. Okay, you can actually Google a ziggurat, okay? And uh, likely will show up if you look in Google Images. You'll be able to see um, soldiers even in the Middle East in the kind of land of Shinar that I was just describing, southern Iraq. You'll see old pictures of them kind of uh, getting a little selfie, you know, behind this, this huge structure. I mean, it's like the size of a pyramid, okay? But instead of it being triangular, it has one large block, okay? Huge walls, large block. Then one medium-sized block. I got a two-year-old, so I'm thinking blocks right now. Okay, um, large block, medium block, and then a small block on the top. Now, get this. That large block, uh, and it was huge, uh, it's where they conducted all of their normal everyday life. This was like the big city, the marketplace. I mean, everybody was able to live down here in this large block. Now, the medium block was, of course, for royalty, and the small block on the top was... Um, depicted as being in the heavens, a place for priests or even people to meet with God. Now let's think about this. The majority of life is assumed then to be lived apart from God. It seems silly, but this is how many people even view God today, that the church is the small block and the rest of our normal everyday lives, well, yeah, of course, that's the large block. And then maybe the medium block is the one that we're not aware of. Maybe that's like the government. Now, this, in, in doing this, that thinking that the rest of our normal everyday life is in this large block of time, then we begin to marginalize our faith as if we could marginalize God. Separating Him from all of life as if He is not Lord over all of it. But God is not marginalized from His creation. He's not separate from it. He's Lord over all of it. God is Lord over the church just as much as He is Lord over the local school. Now what I mean by that is He is sovereign over all things. Amen? Now He, he, he is the Lord over the church in every church. My church, your church, any church. But He's also Lord over local schools, whether Christian or public, over the local police department, jail, grocery store, or QT, whether you're Coke Industries, or you have your own business in your basement, Jesus Christ is Lord over all. From every home to every governmental office, Christ is Lord. And one day, every human being, not just Christians, every human being will stand before Jesus and must give an account for the life that they lived. Because He's Creator and Lord of all, and all of our life, should be lived for his glory and not our own. See, now we look here in the rest of the passage and we find that God is not some small upper chamber in some small upper chamber of a ziggurat or locked away in a church sanctuary. In verse 5 it says, And the Lord came down. He had to come down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, living in disobedience to everything that God had called them to do, living for their name and not His. And nothing, the text says, nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Verse 7, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city.
You see, God had to come down from heaven to see what they were building. You see, its tower did not reach up to God. And God was certainly not in that upper portion of the tower. God had to come down even to see what was going on. Notice the irony uh, in the Scripture. Notice, too, that they specifically say in verse 4 that they did not want to be dispersed as God had commanded them and thus fill all the earth with the glory of God. Forget this, they wanted a name for themselves. They had forgotten whose name that they bear. Image bearers carry one name and one name only, and it is not their own. When humanity seeks to live for their own glory, they become less than what human beings were ever created to be. We were made for another. When we only find our greatest joy, purpose, and good when we live for the name of that other. And that's the name of the one whose image that we bear. Amen? See, they were not living as commissioned. They were living confused. Therefore, verse 9, its name was called Babel. In Hebrew, that means confused. Because there, the Lord confused the language of the earth, and from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. He confused their language to match their hearts. Confused. Now, consider this with me. It's an exciting part of our text where it takes us throughout the rest of Scripture. Now, consider this. In order for all of the earth to be filled with the glory of God, man certainly could not do it themselves. Now, left alone, what did they do? They actually sought the glory for themselves. But God comes down, calls them confused, and thus confused in their language. But don't get it twisted. God's plans cannot be stopped. For even though man would once again seek glory for themselves and defame the name of the Lord, God would come down again. But this time, he would take on flesh and become a man. And this God-man, Jesus Christ, lived in perfect obedience to the Father, revealing his glory to all, yet died in the stead of sinners, so that we might gain access back to God as it was intended since the very beginning of creation. And after Jesus rose again on the third day, before he ascended to the right hand of God, he commissioned his people to, to go forth, renewing the earth, a new start, a new beginning, a restored humanity in Christ. And he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, whose image they bear, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always. Put your trust in me, even to the end of the age. All authority, Jesus says. All authority. All of the earth is mine, says the Lord. Nothing is marginalized or separate from Jesus. Jesus is Lord over all. All of the world has been created by him and for him. All of our city and all who live in it and at all times and in every way were made to worship their creator. And all of humanity, from Wichita to the ends of the earth, 
were created to bear the image of their God and fill the earth with his glory. Well, the whole earth is full of people, right? You got people all over the face of the earth, but not the glory of God. Why? Why would I say that? John Piper says, missions exist because worship does not. Missions exist because worship does not. See, the earth is full of image bearers of God who are living like Babel. Genesis 11, building cities, building careers, making lives for the glory of themselves and not for the one who created them. So what happens after Jesus ascends into heaven? Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. God comes down again, but this time he comes and gives tongues of fire so that everyone gathered can understand the disciples' speech. Now they all, as they were preaching and teaching the gospel, even though people had different languages, they were still able to all understand what was being said. And as they preached the gospel, everyone not only understands, but people begin to repent of their sins and give their lives to Jesus, no longer living for the fame of their own name, but to live all of life to bring glory to His. This is Babel reversed. And they were told then to go into all of the earth, to all those cities built like Babel, to be His witnesses and to advance the kingdom of God. So Bridge Church, by the power of that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and filled the disciples at Pentecost, this is what we shall do together. So that every city, starting with this one, would go from confused to commissioned. Therefore, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and first off confess that there are ways in which we are not living for your kingdom and for your glory, but ways in which, Lord, we actually don't consider you at all. Lord, I pray that we would just be able to confess that. Lord, you have even died for that sin upon the cross. Jesus, the sin of, of seeking self, Lord, of thinking that all that we do is primarily for us and not for you. And Lord, even for believing the lie, Lord, I pray that even right now, Lord, you would break that in here. Lord, believing the lie that you are not uh, to be involved in every aspect of our lives. Lord, yes, in evangelism, God, but, but also in raising our kids, Lord, in every, every detail of our lives, Lord, at work, even in the mundane times, even during our down times, Lord, all time and everything that we do, Lord, is for you. So God, even in that same spirit that we had when we entered into the time of the sermon, Lord, we give you all withholding nothing. And Father, we pray, Lord, for the people who do not yet know you in this city. Lord God, would you use our churches Lord God, would you use our lives, Lord, to reach these people, that they might know the, the purpose and the reason for why they were created. 
Oh, Lord, that they might know you and know you to be good. And know you to be a good father. Know you to be one in whom they can put their trust and live all of their lives to bring glory to. Lord, may they hear it from our lips. May they see it with our lives. Amen.